everybody. Welcome to the final episode of Take the Black Live for the Years, the show where we talk about all things Game of Thrones, Song of Ice and Fire, fantasy fiction, genre fiction, what we're doing, what we had for lunch, all kinds of stuff that comes into our head all day, all the time. I am Dan Selke, winners.net, here with co-host Cheryl Wassenaar of Culturist.com. Hi, everyone. We're not going to talk about what we eat for lunch. We, we promise. I had a sandwich. And thanks for watching, you guys. Uh, thanks for joining us. This is our last episode of the year. It's been a, it's been a it's been a fun Game of Thrones this year, Cheryl. We've survived. We did. We did. We had a good job. And you know what? I think we deserve a little reward. I'm very into rewards. We have a lot of merch on the show today, guys. Just to uh, work ahead, including Things this giant day. box of Game of Thrones Scotch. Game of Thrones Scotch whiskey from HBO. I would give this away, but apparently we can't uh, ship booze. So instead, we are going to drink it and uh, just see you, what happens with that. Is it open that. from the front? What's that? Maybe? I have no idea. Oh, here, give it to me. Here, go ahead. Continue talking and I'll... We are going to give away these two plum items, a fluffy HBO stocking from the HBO marketing department. Ooh. And uh, these two Game of Thrones enamel pins. Targaryen and Stark variety. Okay. And we'll do that a little later. Uh, if you've been with us before, we'll ask a trivia question later in the show. Okay. Whoever answers it first, we'll get these two beauties. How are we doing, Cheryl, with the unboxing? I, g- I got it. That's really cool, actually. Here we go, everybody. Uh, it actually folds together, so you get the two halves, and then it folds out into this magic. That's real freaking fancy. It is real freaking fancy. Um, would you like to hold the scotch I'd love to. for a second? There's a letter to you in there, and you took the paper that was holding okay. There's a letter to you in there, Dan. Which one should we uh, sample? I don't know. There's, okay. And this also came in it. It's a map. Uh, it has a flavor profile. Um, so there's one that is orange and clove, but with red berry compote and vanilla cheesecake. That's the house Tully. Uh, the House Stark is honey and fresh fig with maltiness and fruitcake. Uh, House Targaryen is baked apple with baking spices. And then caramel character with hints of clove, red apple, and a gentle nuttiness. Um, House Lannister is smoky with a little more brine. Uh, smoked caramelized banana and heavy vanilla and burnt marshmallow. And then dry, sl- salt- slightly salted caramel. House Greyjoy is Sichuan peppery smoke and dark chocolate uh, with salted caramel with chili flakes. Um, House Baratheon is light notes of oak and sweet licorice that develops into a rich creamy vanilla coffee. Um, House Tyrell is fresh tropical fruits and creamy vanilla character, delicate floral notes. It's also, and then you've got the Night's Watch, which is rich notes of cherry pie and candied orange peel upon the palette that drifts into cream caramel and charred oak. Neat. You feeling anything? I... The appropriate answer seems to be all of them, but I think I'm going to start with House Tyrell. All right, let's break it out. And uh, by the way, someone asked, where can you get this? Uh, HBO's kind of send it to us, so that's great. But, but they are available for purchase. This nice little sheet tells us how much that they have standard prices for. Okay. So you yeah, can purchase these. Okay. They are limited, but you can purchase them. The Tyrell one is beautiful. Yes. This is a very fancy set. It is very fancy. <laughs> and uh, I think Kenny asked who won the last one. Um, 
I forget the name, but it, it it was sent out last time we gave away a... What did I give away last time? A oh, set? a tarot deck. Oh, a tarot deck. That's right. We're giving away lots of stuff. Yeah. And we're going to give away this lovely stocking and pin set a little later. Oh, this is just... We're so excited to introduce the, the whiskey. All right, Cheryl. Hit me. Not a lot. Just, ah. just, just a little taste. Okay. Let it aerate. Pretend we're fancy. <laughs> okay. To 2018. To 2018. Yeah, that is definitely scotch. That is very scotch. <laughs> Hey, it's pretty powerful, but that's what Scotch is Good morning, Starshine. Thank you for HBO. And I wish we could send this to you. I think Corey Thone said we can't send booze. We can send a whole sword once. <laughs> I mean, there are rules against booze. I don't know what to tell you. I didn't true. know that. But Every time I have to send something out, I have to be like, does this contain alcohol? They they ask you pretty seriously. At really? The post yeah. Yeah, there you go. They have their restrictions, guys. Sorry. It's news to me. Anyway. Woo. So we're drinking scotch. It's the end of the year. Let's celebrate because we were off last week because of our technical difficulties. So, so we missed the first teaser trailer for Game of Thrones Season 8. Yes. Okay, so let's just get right to it. Let's watch it and let's break it down and discuss it. Let's go. All of you guys, let's watch the very first trailer for, well, teaser trailer for Season 8. The final season of Game of Thrones, see what we can divine from it. Roll the tape. <sighs> good watching. Okay. It's very good watching. Cheryl. Yes, Dan. So... I think I'm gonna switch to House Targaryen. Go nuts. What was your reaction when you saw the season eight teaser trailer? What do you think of it? Aside from losing my mind? <laughs> um, it is important. We, we, we don't get a whole lot of that, so whenever it does. Yeah, nice. we, we, have to, we have to take our take our fun where we can get it, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, my big reaction to it was obviously, you know, it's very heavily symbolic, but in a way that we're used to um, in Game of Thrones. Nice that you know we've always been very well trained to respond to the house sigils i'm gonna get this last bit of whiskey really do at this point we know yeah. exactly what the lion the dragon and the uh wolf mean and exactly there's only three that appear in the trailer that is correct um but we're also asked to remember the placement of where everything is so we can actually fully appreciate where the um where the ice is coming from and where the fire is coming from That's very and true. the positioning. Like, we know what that map is. That is Daenerys' map in Dragonstone. Yes, it is. Kind of lording over for the whole past seven episodes. Yeah, speaking of... I'm... You drink that straight? No, I was going to pour it. <laughs> Thank you. I don't... I am not strong enough. No, this is the Targaryen, fittingly enough, because we're talking about Daenerys. Um, probably going to violate a couple rules by pouring it in the same glass, but whatever. Whatever. Um, so yeah, that was my kind of first reaction to it was obviously it doesn't reveal a ton beyond what no. we already knew. The war is here, blah, blah, blah. But, um, just the symbolism of it. I thought it was very well done. Yes. I mean, and, um, Lisa here says that she was disappointed it didn't give her more. Still, still gave her shivers. Of course. But I mean, as far as a teaser trailer goes, I think it's probably the best one they've done. Like, I was going back and looking at some of the older ones. Sure. Like, for season six, they had, like, a, the wall of faces thing, just, like, panning over faces on a wall. Which yeah, that was kind of underwhelming. I think the next one was that cool thing where all the sigils were statues and they were kind of grappling with each other. Mm -hmm. This one, like, they hired a, an art director, man. Like, they really went all out and gave yep. special effects magic. Uh, it was it was very pleasant to watch. Yes. And I mean, yes, it's not going to give us anything concrete. It can't. 
but I do appreciate that they're going in for the spectacle. Absolutely. It was a well-done teaser trailer. Yes. Okay, so we talked about the symbolism. We know, you know, there's dragons and wolves and lions getting either frosted over or set on fire and they meet in the center. Fire, Battle of Song of Ice and Fire, Ice and Fire coming together, meeting, battling. There is at least one theory that yes. I'm sure you've heard me touch on. So in the teaser trailer, Fire and Ice sweep across the map. Yes. And by the way, Kenny asked if we had a guess for when we'll get a real trailer. Do you have any guess? Um, I would say probably with... The premiere of, I would say probably, maybe with the premiere of True Detective. I think that makes a lot of sense. Like, there's part of me that wants to say, like, they'll do it as a Christmas present. But I know that's just, that's not how corporations think. <laughs> they they'll they do don't it, like us that much, Dan. Yeah. Like, they'll do it what, when they can promote something. It makes right, more sense to right. do it then. Targaryen scotch is also very scotchy. I mean, it's scotch, man. It is very scotch. They really made a lot of different flavors, though. Yeah. I mean, like, you know there are, like, scotch heads who can taste all these and really differentiate between them. Yeah, I mean, but... I can tell the difference between the Tyrell and the Targaryen scotch. Oh, I'll try the Targaryen scotch later. Um, I kind of like the Targaryen scotch a little more. It's kind of got a, not quite of a, a, a high Sure. Note. It's a little more. I know what you mean. Yeah. A little darker. Yeah, a little darker. I thought um. that Iron Island one sounded kind of good. We'll try that later. Anyway, um, so in the teaser trailer... Right, right, right. So fire and ice. Fire sweeps in from the north. Ice sweeps in from the south. Pretty obviously symbolic. Dragons and White Walkers. Ice and fire. John and Danny meet in the middle, around the middle of the map, around the trident, and just kind of clash in this uh, primal battle of primal forces. And, like, the flames freeze, basically, and throw up kind of a new formation. Mm -hmm. There are some fans who are saying oh, it looks like a new wall is going to form somewhere a, a couple hundred miles south of the current one. Is that uh, anything to that or just people having fun? I'm mildly dubious about it. Mildly, huh? Um, mildly, you know. Like, I could, I could see where it would make sense, <laughs> but the trident also is kind of heavily symbolic in the sense that that's where the last clash between the Targaryens and the Baratheons happened yeah, during Robert's at the, Rebellion. the Trident River. Yeah, um, at one of the forks. If memory, I, I want to say it's the Green Fork, but I could be very, very wrong on that, and I'm I sure. do forget. Yes. It's definitely on the Trident. Yeah, it's definitely on the Trident. The so, Ruby Ford. There it is, the Ruby Ford. Um, but, so my thought process there is, a lot of Game of Thrones is about kind of these cycles and things repeating themselves. Mm, I love it. So it would make sense that the final clash of this attempt to either reestablish the Targaryen <laughs> dynasty or what have you would occur in the same place. Things rhyme. Things repeat. Oh, there you go. I'm um, quoting George Lucas again. It hurts me a little bit inside. But so I think that might be more important than the idea of a new wall, just kind of speaking again on more symbolic terms. I also saw someone who called it dragon glass. And I was like I don't really get why they call it that. I mean it's shiny and black. That's about <laughs> it's like it's kind of what they're probably going for. Um so that I think is more important. I'm I'm not gonna say, oh yes, they're definitely building a new wall. I'm not sure. No, that'd, be, that'd be overreaching. Yeah. Um and if even if you did build a new wall, what of? Like, dragon glass isn't really a building material. And, I mean, what other black, shiny material do we have here? The wall is magic. Ooh, obsidian. That's dragon glass. 
All right. Or the inky, oily black stone of which um, the base of the high tower is built, and most of a shy if you're a really deep nerd. We're talking about Westeros here. <laughs> you mentioned Blackstone. That's true. I did. I did walk myself into that one. But yeah, I... Oh my God. <laughs> Can you tell we're not Scotchheads, everyone? Um, but that's more important to me than the, uh, than the idea that it's a new wall. It's more just kind of the symbolism of it. Frankly, I... Yeah, I mean, that's the way you got to take it. Because, I mean, right. frankly, I, I thought you gave that a more serious uh, reading than I thought maybe it warrants. There are definitely folk in the comments who were like, this theory is dumb. Eh, and, uh, well. I'm not going to go quite that far, but, yeah, it's, it's a teaser. It's fun. Yeah, yeah. It I'm, looked great, and I thought it really teased the season well. Yeah. It was a nice razzle-dazzle. Yeah, I don't think it's, I don't think the, I mean, I, I'm not going to say the theory is dumb. I think the theory is kind of reading a little too literally into what's going on instead of perhaps figuratively. I'm just going to read Corey Thone's comment. Please. This wall theory is so dumb. Of course, <laughs> Razor believes that they had a whole podcast thing. Of course. And uh, Rajaskar Kurthy asked if you said George Lucas instead of J-R-R-M, but you were actually quoting George Lucas's infamous... Uh, I was, in fact, quoting George Lucas there. ...discussion of his storytelling technique when he yes. did the prequels, I think. Yes. About things rhyming. Yes, he... Although I think he is, in the abstract, correct. Just, yes, uh, he just... He can write it, but he sure can't say it, to quote Harrison Ford. Yes, no, it's a George Lucas quote. He says something along the lines of, it's like poetry, it rhymes. And that's what I'm referring to, not George R. R. Martin. Yes. And Lisa loves scotch. Hope you can try some of this, Lisa. Yes. Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. So the teaser's out. Yes. Hoping for a new trailer soon. Probably in January. Nothing's going to come before that. Mm, yes, okay. please Santa. I also want to talk about this uh, thing that came out about like a week ago. Did you happen to read... Joanna Robinson in Variety, um, kind of, or Vanity Fair, sorry, did the Lord's work and rooted through all these old scripts in the Writers Guild of America's West Library in Los Angeles and found George R. R. Martin's original script for The Lion and the Rose, the last Game of Thrones episode that he wrote, basically right. Joffrey's death, Joffrey's wedding. Right. That's the final time George R. R. Martin wrote for Game of Thrones. And I read, she, she got to all the changes, and I thought it was fascinating the, the way you can kind of see where this split was happening. Mm -hmm. because And just kind of see where he was as an author. Because the script was way longer than any script he'd written before. Okay. <laughs> so he's kind of getting into that mode, which is where he kind of is now. Um, and there are way more changes than ever before. Mm -hmm. So you can kind of see sort of where they're kind of starting to diverge, which of course they would from now on. Of course, he never wrote another script. Mm -hmm. So it seemed like it was a tipping point. And just, there were tons of differences in it that didn't make it into the show, such as... Tell me. What's that? Tell me, tell me, tell me. Okay, did you read it, by the way? Uh, I got to skim over bits and pieces of it, but you have the highlights. I thought it was really cool. It is really cool. Um, so when Melisandre burns people alive, mm -hmm. he wrote a thing where their spirits would rise into the air and they would become young again, which I was like, that would look silly on film. I'm glad they cut that. Um, Varys is a master of disguise. He meets Tyrion in the dungeons, and he's like dressed as like a, a jailer guy with like a beard and a thick cloak and stuff, so then they cut from the books, which again, I think would look silly. Yeah. Penny the dwarf was in it from oh the books. Lord! Osmond Kettleblack, Aerys oh. Oakheart. Um, 
he adds in the bit where from the books that is in the books where uh, Tyrion figures out that Joffrey was the one to try and assassinate Bran, um, and he foreshadows fake Arya still being around and being set up to marry Ramsay. So it's it, it's just interesting to me because it, it's it's not that they change things; things will change. It's just they changed a lot, a lot more than they did for their other scripts, and it just seems like this moment where if you were going to make a, hist- a history of Game of Thrones, you could like point to that as the point where it really started to split. I mean, <sighs> Feast for Crows and Dance with Dragons are kind of the point where the books start to go off the rails a little bit, and all of those... Yeah, go ahead. Oh, was that an ooh for the scotch or an ooh for me having opinions? The scotch. Okay. Your opinions are great, though. Okay. Um, just making sure. Um, so, yeah, like... Those two books are where things go off the rails anyway, literarily speaking. Mm-hmm. And so all of those plot points that you read off just now were all most of which I reacted to by just kind of sitting here and going, oh, yeah, that happened. Like, I... They really streamlined Game of Thrones, and we could have a very, very long discussion about <laughs> what of those cuts were necessary and what of those cuts may have been unne- uh, unnecessary. But... Most of most of those things that you just rattled off seem very very unnecessary. Kinda, yeah. So and they the the episodes of Game of Thrones cannot tell <laughs> as long of a story as George R. R. Martin can, for better or for worse. And then they added in other things. And then they like, added in other, other like, things. Like well, no, like in the script, the script writers added in like remember that conversation where uh, Oberyn and Ilaria and Tywin and Cersei are like throwing shade at each other. Yeah, it was wedding? great. Like that. That was the Benioff and Weiss edition. <laughs> and it's just, it's interesting because, like, that to me, like, that's a TV scene, right? That's, that's like, a very TV that's scene. That's four actors reading dialogue. And Having just fun. Playing off each other. Yeah. It's not like a myth building bit. Exactly. And it, that makes a lot of sense because mm-hmm. George R. R. Martin's dialogue can also be very unwieldy at points. I mean, I, I, I'm, getting, I'm, getting, I'm getting those opinions in, Dan. It is the end of the year. It is. I don't want to be too down on anybody here. No, I, I just thought I'm it was not. Just, I, I recommend if you're interested in just yeah. how how the show and the books diverge. This is a really interesting window into that period and into where the creators' minds were at this point. Yes, like George R. Martin, Benioff, ben, David Benioff, and Dan Weiss. It's yes. like all three of them kind of like you see them bubble up to the surface. Mm-hmm. When, when I read that, I thought it was pretty. Yeah. A, uh, a look inside the bones of an adaptation. Yes. I don't mean to knock George R. R. Martin here, by the way. I'm, it's going to happen. Uh, what? <laughs> it's more just that I... He does have flaws as a writer. Oh, and sure. It feels necessary to point them out. Um, before, you know, people have already started calling him the American Tolkien, and don't get me started on Tolkien. We're going to need a lot more scotch. That'd be a good discussion, though. We should have that. We should. Um, on the Wick Club, perhaps. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, if you're a member of the Wick Club and you want to see that, let us know. We have, like, scotch to last us a long time. Yeah, we got, like, plenty of scotch, so we're, we're good here. Um, but, uh-huh. yeah, it's... I'm not meaning to knock him here so much as kind of point out where his strengths lie, and they're not necessarily in writing for television in the same way that... Uh, Benioff and Weiss's are. Yeah, and and this point is like where it really started. Yes. Like they had one idea and he had another. Yes. Uh, Sean Powers asks, why did they take out the part where Captain Stark was alive? And Sean, to that, I say because they have good sense. Woo! But there's divisions on that. 
I wish I could find like someone who loves Lady Stoneheart so I could debate them. Cause I, I feel like you're kind of in my camp with it. I'm, I'm very, I'm Switzerland on Lady gotcha. Stoneheart. Like I, I would have been happy if she were here. I'm not. I'm, and I'm okay that she's not. I want like a Lady Stoneheart lover so I can like get into it with them and yeah. just like debate them down. Not me, sorry. But another time. Okay, and finally, before we give away our lovely Game of Thrones pins and stockings. Yes, continue your scotch. Let's go beyond the wall for a second. Okay. Something non-Game of Thrones related, of which there's plenty of interesting stuff right now. Here's what that stocking actually looks like, guys. Thank you. You're welcome. That is a, what was I showing? I was showing like the. You had it like inside out. Oh, that looks so much better. Yeah. Great. That's what it actually looks like. You want guys. it even. You want it even more badly. Yeah, the pom poms actually <laughs> hang nicely. <laughs> Thank you, Cheryl. You're welcome, Dan. Let's go beyond the wall, though. That's embarrassing. Okay. Um, <laughs> let's talk for a minute about another huge show on the horizon. Yes. Uh, the Mandalorian, a Disney's live-action Star Wars show to premiere next 2019, probably late late 2019. Mm-hmm. Um, Game of Thrones star Pedro Pascal is going to be playing the lead character. The Mandalorian, if you will, who is... We, we don't know a ton about him yet, but he'll... That's, that's a very nice career boost. Headlining a major Star Wars Disney show would be great for him. Mm-hmm. And Okay, I'll be honest. So, so here's my, like, uh, my arc with this show. I hear that Disney is making a live-action Star Wars show. I kind of default to, oh, they're just trying to make money. I mean, I, I, I'm sure it'll be competent and good, but I... I, it's it's like when it comes from that big a company, I feel like there are kind of safeguards in place to make sure it's not too different or interesting. They or made the just... Last Jedi. I don't know if those se- that safeguards is exist. That's a, that, that's a very good point, and that is a flaw, <laughs> a flaw in my argument. But still, I can't help it. Like a big company makes it, I assume they're not. They're gonna try and color inside the lines. Okay. But then we keep hearing about who's being cast in this Mandalorian show, this big giant tentpole Star Wars Disney show. And I am very intrigued. So we have uh, um, Giancarlo Esposito, who is Gus from Breaking Bad. Yeah, the drug lord. Have you seen that? No. He's terrifying. We I, have yes. um, Nick Nolte, a uh, very big star in his day. Mm. Now he looks like a homeless Santa Claus kind of thing going around. <laughs> we have Carl Weathers, Apollo Creed. Sure, why not? Coming, coming to the Star Wars universe. Uh, Gina Carano from Deadpool is in it. Deadpool, yeah. And finally, the one that really, the one that really sent me kind of reeling was Werner Herzog, the noted German filmmaker behind such movies as Augure, Wrath of God, and Grizzly Man, who is a very iconoclastic kind of, like, almost like outsider artist figure who just, like, has no business being in a giant tentpole corporation thing. And I'm starting to think, like, Maybe this is worth watching after all. They're clearly getting a little weird with it, which I like. What's your take on this? That was the word that came to mind for me, too. Star Wars is getting a little strange. I'm not (laughs) opposed to it. I would definitely like a more balanced cast in terms of gender. I know a lot of people have already been talking about should could and should Sabine Wren from Star Wars Rebels show up, and I would not be opposed to it. Mm -hmm. I mean, the transition from Is that like around the same time period? Yes. Cool. Um, animation, the transition from animation to, um, you know, the transition from animation to live action is often difficult. Um, the scotch might be getting me a little bit. Um, it's definitely getting me. Um, and so I'm not it's sure. Is the Targaryen kind? Yes, it's Targaryen okay. kind. Um, 
so I don't know if they should ta uh, cast someone to be Sabine Wren, but I would like if they could cast someone to kind of be just just put more women in Star Wars, guys. It is true. I mean, the, uh, uh, the, the names I read off were all men, and it, I mean there are some yeah. women, but the the interesting ones, the ones that made me go, you're, you're going to put them in the Star yeah. Wars show are dudes. Yeah. I mean, there is a supernatural star. Uh, Emily Swallow is going to be in it, too. Okay. Mainly, I'm just looking forward to... I never heard of her. Mainly, Maybe. I'm just looking forward to perhaps a, uh, a more auteurish, quirky take on a mass market, very expensive Star Wars show. And I'm behind that. Yeah. I'm not opposed to Star Wars getting weird and quirky. I mean, The Mandalorian probably wouldn't have been my first choice for a Star Wars show anyway. Me neither. But... It's growing on me slowly. It's like I'm in a back to tank, and like I have to, I have to acclimate before I can really start healing. Ooh, it's growing on me too. And yeah. Julie also says Deadwood, which is completely true. They're also reviving Deadwood. Yes, they are. Ian McShane. They released the photo, and he looks amazeballs. He like hadn't aged a day since like he was on that show. I know. It's like witchcraft. It's great. So that'll be fun too. Yes. All right. Any other thoughts on any of the show before we give away our stuff? I know there's there's no scotch in my brain. Okay, so let's. let's I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying you know it too. What? I agree with you. The Targaryen scotch, if you're wondering, it is a little better than the Tyrell scotch. Yes, it's smoother. Yes. <laughs> ah, and as Corey Thone said, yeah, it should probably be smoked. Well, I think they're going with that with the baked. Gotcha. Okay, yeah, baked. At least there's yeah. fire involved. Yeah, you know. All right. Oh, quickly, Cory Thone, by the way, has a comment here. I wish I could see it all. Hmm? In the Clone Wars, Mandalore had an awesome female leader that had a backstory with Obi-Wan, so maybe. And oh, yeah, as far Sabine. As I can read. Uh, Sabine. I'm going to mispronounce uh, her name. It's. No, not Sabine. Uh, Satine. No, no. Is it Satine? I, I know her last name. It's K R Y Z E. Uh, yes, Lisa, I am playing Warm and Fuzzy. And so is this stocking from the HBO yes. marketing department. So let's give away this stocking and the set of Game of Thrones pins, Targaryen Stark Edition. Because it's Christmas, um, I figured the trip customer would just make an easy one. Mm -hmm. And because these aren't, you know, like the coolest things I've ever given away. Uh, the way it works is simple. I'm going to ask a Game of Thrones trivia question. Um, you all will email me, email your answers to dan.selke at winneriscoming.net. Should be on your screen in some form. That's dan.selke at winneriscoming.net. The first person to get the correct answer wins these two lovely prizes. And I will contact you, ask for your address information, and then send them out. Okay. And uh, unfortunately, as usual, for uh, Take the Black Live, it is only for people in the U.S., although we do do international giveaways on the WIC Club. Okay. Trivia question is, easy one. Name the place where Daenerys Targaryen was born. Name Daenerys Targaryen's birthplace. Email your answer to dan.selke at winneriscoming.net and you could win a lovely HBO stocking and a couple of Game of Thrones pins. Where was Daenerys Targaryen born? Name her birthplace. Win the stuff. Do you know, Cheryl? I do. Even with scotch in my brain. Exactly. And it, I am correct. It was Satine Kurz. That's the duchess oh. that Corey is referring to. Lovely. But other than that, I think my time has ended. So Indeed. I will say happy holidays to everyone. Happy New Year. See you in 2019. And, and we will bring on Mr. Josh Hill. They will for bring on Mr. Josh, Josh Hill. So 
Bye, everyone. Happy and holidays. while he uh, moseys over, I can tell you about the Wick Club. You, you, you can it out. Yeah, I know. I can tell you about the Wick Club for a second. Uh, the Wick Club is a Patreon-funded effort by Wick where we do extra articles, extra videos, giveaways, uh, stickers, T-shirts, a thing where I drink on camera with y'all, which is just kind of my gig anyway. Um, right now, we're giving away a 2019 Song of Ice and Fire calendar. You see there with illustrations by no defense the artist John Jude Palancar. We're running a caption contest. Head to winnerscoming.net to see what that's all about and um, hopefully get in on it. And that mails anywhere. So it doesn't matter if you live in Peoria, Illinois or Paris, France. You can win it no matter what. And now we come back and we see that Josh Hill is here with us. Oh, hi, Dan. I didn't Josh see you Hill. sitting there. <laughs> Neither did I. We have terrible but Clearly, vision. you've been uh, burning through this scotch here, it looks Are like. Are you going to have any... I'm good. You uh, you knock so yourself out. We've been through a lot here, Dan, with Ga okay. with the Game of Thrones. Yes. You deserve some scotch. Good focus. You do you do deserve some scotch for that. Why not? It's good stuff. <laughs> uh, yes, we are here for another the final episode of A Song of Dan and Josh for 2019. Yep. It kind of just worked out this way naturally, by the way, that the final episode happened to fall on the end of the book we read. No, no, no. We planned it this way. We absolutely. Yeah, planned we it planned way. it this way. <laughs> Ignore what I said. That guy's drunk. <laughs> Listen to him. Uh, over the past, I mean, a little over a year, you mm -hmm. and I read the entirety of A Game of Thrones by George R. R. Martin, chapter by chapter, sometimes two, sometimes one, discussing it. I'd read the books before. You'd never read the books. And I thought we'd just take today, before we dive into A Clash of Kings next year, to just look back really quickly and just kind of give an appraisal. Mm -hmm. So my first question for you is, so you saw the show before you read this thing. Yes. Um... <laughs> Did anything surprise you about it? Was there anything different that you weren't expecting? Or did it go pretty much how you thought it would go? I mean, it went pretty much the way that I thought it was going to go. Mm -hmm. uh, I kept after reminding myself that the ages of the characters were different in the show and the book, which kind of changes some of the perspectives a little bit. Because yeah. they are, they're basically adults on the show. And we're dealing with children in the books, especially in the Rob chapters, or the Catelyn chapters, when Rob is being described yeah. as doing these things, leading the army, strategizing. Yeah, he's for, like 14. He's a little like kid. 13. He should be learning algebra. But he's here and he's <laughs> learning to uh, command an army. Um, and just kind of the description, like, I mean, the obvious, I knew this coming into the book because, I, you know, you've seen those. Uh, slideshows all over the place that are like, this is what the Game of Thrones characters were <laughs> supposed to look like, but obviously it's on TV, so they're not going to ugly up a bunch of pretty people. But I like mean, Tyrion looking different and more, you know, impish and ugly than he is on the show and those kinds of things. Those weren't necessarily big takeaways. Most, of, Mostly everything went according to script and plan. Yeah, but I mean, it really did. There aren't a lot of plot changes. And no. I'm guessing that as someone who's watched the show first, you probably pictured the, the actors in yeah. those roles anyway. Absolutely. Like, it doesn't matter if no 13-year-old looks like Kit Harrington. <laughs> like, you're still, you're you're still going <laughs> to see Kit Harrington when you read this, yes? Yes, I absolutely. And, yeah. and Daenerys, and even, you know, Khal Drago, like, or Drogo, all of these, all of these characters. I mean, I will say, I think the casting is one of the, the best parts of the show. Mm -hmm. That even though they didn't go for literalism, they still captured the spirit of the characters very, very nicely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, how about the style? Like anything? You well, know, Game of Thrones is a little weird because it is by far the most faithful to the mm -hmm. books, right? Yeah. The, the first season of Game of Thrones. I mean, there were still some things that George R. R. Martin had in there. Just his descriptions. There were some very visceral moments. Um, yeah. We always came back to the uh, 
bit where John's fighting the white the and white, the white yep. shoves his hand down his mouth. Yep, it's like terrifying to read that. And then the chapter ends on that. It's not there's no real it's conclusion. It's just like John's fighting this white and it shoves its hand down his throat. Okay, next chapter. It's like <laughs> it, what? It, it, it's, it's very jarring. But I it mean, works. It, it, it totally works. Yeah. And, you know, and 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 in some ways, I mean there there are some things that TV obviously is better than than books and mm-hmm. vice versa. Um maybe there's just not really a way to make you understand in screen form how violative or disgusting something like that could be. Yeah. Because I can't really think of a moment on, on the show that made me go like, in that sort of way. I mean, the eating the horse heart, oh both God. in the book and on the show, is it's very gross. gross. Oh, God, yeah. the description. Oh, yeah. So I don't know about you, but w- w- when I reread this stuff, obviously, like, Ned is the backbone of the book, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. He has, I think I wrote him down, he has 15 chapters, mm-hmm. um... That's by far the most of any other of any character here. Yeah. Um, my favorite, I think, when I read these was kind of Daenerys' story, just mm-hmm. because it was totally isolated. It didn't yeah. like a lot of the other ones were kind of dependent on each other, but I I loved how Daenerys was sort of just its own separate novel in a novel mm-hmm. in a way the others weren't. And I loved uh, just the, the the way Martin wrote some of her, especially the later chapters, where she was kind of going through these hallucinogenic states. Like after uh, she had her baby, but mm-hmm. before she killed Drogo, I loved that chapter. I loved like the vividness and the imagination of some of the descriptions. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember you really liking the Catelyn chapter. After... The fever dream. Yeah, with you... Brand. With Brand. Yeah. I was kind of surprised by that. But you kept bringing that one up. It was just that was the first kind of because everything up until that point had kind of gone the way you'd expect a fantasy novel to go. It's right. very cut and dry. It's to the point. There's some fantastical things, and there's the world building that we have. That was the first chapter to me that kind of stuck, uh, you know, stood out. And I was like, this is a little bit different. It's like you know yeah. the the episode like the fly episode of Breaking Bad where it's it just kind of stops the story Bottle cold. Episode, baby bottle up it stops the story cold and all they're doing is they're trying to kill a fly that was the fever dream chapter to me because it kind of stopped the story cold and completely put us inside of catelyn's head obviously but like it really kind of related her in a way that some of these other characters had already been further along like i was on board with catelyn in that chapter because you're like at the end of the day this is her son like this is the most concerning thing to her and that, that, it's I don't know, that was very yeah. It was driving her insane. It was a relatability factor that was missing in some of the interactions that we sure. had with her before, and it really kind of hammered that home. It's also the kind of thing the show never does. Like there are plenty of shows that do dream sequences, delirium mm-hmm. sequences. Yeah. Sort of like they play with the form. They mm-hmm. give you like you're seeing it through their perspective now, and we're putting a filter on it, and it's hazy <laughs> and hazy, stuff like yeah. that. <laughs> Game of Thrones never does that. Nope. But I feel like George R. R. Martin perhaps would have wanted them to because he is pretty liberal with the kind of let's take a break from reality for a minute yeah. and have this more just metaphorical, evocative style for, for a while. I feel like that's kind of just a trope, though, that he's leaning on. And also, this was, what, mid-late 90s that he wrote this? Yes, so 96, it's, 7. Yeah, it's still very much that's kind of a style that exists in these fantasy novels and exists in fantasy films and fantasy does, television yeah. shows at the time. So it, it, it fits in with the era, I think. I'm happy that the show didn't do it. Because like I mean, we discussed... I am when too. Because it's very corny. It can be done right. It can. More often than not, it's extremely corny. Which is I, why, why it's impressive. It comes off in the written word so well. And not, I mean, you know, it, it, it's not like he does them all the time. Yeah. But he, he definitely does them more than the show, which is never... Mm-hmm. Which, I, I, which I do like. I, th- I like that they kept it nice and grounded... 
it almost it makes it just it 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 it, it, it distinguishes it. Mm-hmm. I think that they can kind of be a crutch dream sequence and stuff like that. So I'm glad they didn't go for that. But I did I did I I thought some of the hallucinogenic stuff was the best writing in, in the book. Yeah, just very very visceral and had a direct line to yeah. my reader brain. <laughs> Were you surprised at all if I told you that Ned had 15 chapters, Catelyn 11? And Sansa and Arya, six and five apiece. Does that surprise you? Like how little some characters featured? Yeah. I mean, specifically Sansa, because she sticks out so much when we go to King's Landing with mm-hmm. her. It feels like... I mean, she is present because it's from the point of view. So some of these characters are present in other characters' chapters. Yeah. So that also lends to you know somebody like Sansa being more present than six chapters would indicate. Um, but yeah, it's a little surprising when you add it up and, and tally it. Because... Ned is very present throughout the book. Very much so. Like, again, like I, I always said this book is a magic trick. That yeah. He's the main character, and the whole book is kind of geared toward getting you to accept that mm-hmm. and to know it, so you will be shocked in the final, like, eighth. Yeah. And it worked. It totally... Well, I mean, okay, so, I mean, you, you, you're, you're coming at this from someone who's already read the show and mm-hmm. already familiar with the story. And the, the way we read it is so segmented. Yeah. Like, did it work for you? It did. It was a different perspective. Use your imagination. Cause, yeah, because I'm comparing it to what I saw on the show, mm-hmm. to what we're reading here. And I don't know, the flow, getting inside the characters' heads, having it be a slower burn than just the whole hour episode that we're dealing with. And you're bouncing back and forth. So we're dealing with the Ned drama, and then we bounce out for a whole different chapter. We go north to the wall with John, and then we're dealing with uh, Daenerys. And then we come back to Ed or to Ned, and we have fifteen chapters worth of this. And it seems like so much more than fifteen chapters. Yeah. So it's a slow burn that you didn't really get on the show, and I felt like that was very effective because you, more often than not, we'd be sitting here on the show talking about, you know, Ned is being he's doing it by the book. We have all of this Ned commentary. We did, yeah. And there's a ton else going on, and I didn't feel that way when I was watching the show, where I was reading so into every single one of his moves. Mm-hmm. Whereas in the book, you're literally reading into every single one of his moves. So it kind of it was effective in a different way than it was on the show to me. Yeah, cool. I could take that. I mean, a uh, a. Uh, 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 Back to the magic trick bit, it seems like Sansa and Arya in this book, they're like supporting characters for Ned's story, mm-hmm. right? Like he's the one who's making the plans and they're like kind of perspective just a little bit. Mm-hmm. And just, again, the great thing about the story is that it takes those supporting characters and just lets them run with the rest of the whole story throughout the next like four books yeah. in a very interesting way. Um, I also want to mention what we talked about before, the uh, clever way the book is a fantasy book that has magic stuff at the very beginning and the very end mm-hmm. and in between is kind of all grounded yeah. reality medieval drama, which is very nice and a twist on the fantasy genre. It is. It's like uh, the film 28 Days Later. It's uh, okay. it's a human story that happens to have zombies in it. It's a right. zombie film. I mean, that's that's the backbone of it. That's the, that's the world that they're in. But it's about the characters. It's a human story that just so happens to have a zombie apocalypse. And this is kind of the same way. It's this, okay. it's this political like novel. It's this... You know, everybody's going back and forth about the throne, and we got these characters doing these different things, Ned, and you tend to forget the fantastical nature of everything, unless it's, you know, John getting his, you know, 
fingers down the throat of a, of a white. <laughs> With a or, little spike here and there. Because right off the bat, we get established that this is kind of a fantastical thing. And then throughout, George R. R. Martin sprinkles things in in his yeah. world building, which is effective because it makes it feel like a lived-in world. It, these magical things aren't magical and fantastical. They just exist in this world, which makes them... Because they're mentioned very often. Like, we've talked about that more than a few times with these chapters. The fact that they just fit so neatly into the story, you're not like, wow, White Walkers. Like, even though that's, like, the exaggeration of it, like, that's clearly the most fantastical part about sure. this. Even things like the, uh, the the witch in with Daenerys or the priestess, things like that, the black magic, like, it just yeah. works. It fits because it's been established. So, to me... It's more of a political novel that happens to be set yeah. in a fantastical world, more so than a fantasy novel that leans on all of these fantasy tropes. And I like too. I like that because he gets so deep into things like, you know, Rob's identity crisis and Tyrion mm -hmm. uh, learning to love himself and learning to <laughs> see that he has some worth and talk run himself. into battle with a huge yeah. spear that, helmet. You know what? Cheers. You're not drinking. That was Cheers fantastic. to that because that was fun. I'm not going to forget that. Um, it. it I mean, the, the, the whole conceit of the whole series is that the White Walkers are coming and people should be banding together, not fighting amongst themselves. Yep. But because he gets so deep into why these people are concerned with what they're concerned about, mm -hmm. like the battle for the throne, Joffrey is trying yep. to rise up, the crisis that Ned's execution makes, I mean, Arya wants to get revenge. You, I, I, I can sympathize with why they wouldn't see something as obvious as a White Walker holocaust coming. Yeah. Because they're very they're, they're dug into these they they dug into these other stories, like and I think life's like that. Life's like that. Josh. It is like that. Like it's a wonderful it's, metaphor. It's, it's it's one thing to say we should all care about this and band together, but when you have like your individual life, it's 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 not that easy. It's it's not that easy to get yourself out of your routine. Mm -hmm. And I think this book captures that by going in a different perspectives. <laughs> but before I ask my final question, I'm a little tipsy. I just want to ask you this. Um, you're a Star Wars guy. I am a Star you're a Wars film guy. guy. You know who Werner Herzog is. Yes. Werner Herzog is in the Star Wars show. Does That's that make strange. Any sense to you? I can't remember the last time. I read that news too, and I was interested by it because I can't remember the last time he's acted in something. There is a very famous video of him Wasn't online. Wasn't he in John Wick or something? He might have been, but there's a famous video online. And first of all, I never said hi to everybody. So hi. So yes. Here's my hello. And also, go Google Werner Herzog getting shot. Like, it's great. He's getting interviewed. I, I, I forget what? where. And he gets shot. While he's being interviewed, Who? and he doesn't even flinch. He's just like, <laughs> it's like he got bit by a bug. He's like, Ugh, and then he just keeps going with his Werner Herzog thing. Who shot him? I don't, I don't remember the exact context of it. I think they're in like Bosnia or something like that, or they're in a war zone, and it's like a straight bullet. Herzog? Well, it's a stray bullet that gets him, but it's just oh, the fact right. that it's like he feels like it's a mosquito bite, and he's like, Ugh, and then he just keeps going. It's like, no, actually, he got shot. To capture the existentialism of the so that's what we're welcoming into the Star Wars world. That's the realism. That's the kind of actor that you're going to get. So He's so it. dedicated to the role, <laughs> even if it's just an interview, he can get shot and continue doing what he's doing. So. I'm into it. I'm into it. I, I, I'm all for that. <laughs> and finally, my actual last question, I just want to get your opinion on that, is uh, now that you've read this, mm -hmm. what are you looking forward to or just have questions about for our journey into A Clash of Kings, the second book in the series? I mean, the, thoughts? the obvious answer is I, I like comparing it to the show and seeing where it's going because the right. first book lined up, and I kind of knew that coming, and lined up very well yeah. with where the first season went. And now, famously, the show is branched two, off. I mean, it, it's just... It, it, it's less like it. Mm -hmm. It's we're, we're still pretty much on track, but you're going to see more and more fisher as we go on. Yeah, and I'm always interested in the follow-ups to something that's great. Because like True Detective that's season true. two is terrible, 
because still haven't watched him. True Detective season one, he had his entire life to write it, so obviously it's going to be as near yeah. perfect as possible. And HBO is like, we have a hit. Write this in a month. Right? Follow-up <laughs> albums. You have a great album that comes out, and you have to capitalize on it, and you put out a piece of crap because that's been rushed out. So I want to see how this compares to the first book because George R. R. Martin has established this world, but also people have expectations. There's no expectation coming into this book. It's a fantasy novel. Right. But then it becomes all of these other things. What is that moving forward with these books now that he has an established brand? And to this point now, he is the most established brand of fantasy. And it's kind of a problem for him at this point. It is. With uh, <laughs> the, the weight of expectations is, is almost too much. Just part of the issue. What are the chances that Winds of Winter is like the Phantom Menace of Game of Thrones? Because the Phantom Menace had the high bar. Like, it's 30 whatever years you're waiting for a new Star Wars movie. Yeah. And the expectations <laughs> are so incredibly high yeah. because you've waited so long and you're so invested in this world that the movie's not terrible. It's not good. Uh -huh. But it's remembered for being not as good as people wanted it to be. Yes. So I have this. I'm wondering as we get deeper into these books and my expectations rise. Everybody who's out there who's waiting for Winds of Winter, is this like going to be a Phantom Menace situation where the expectations and the wait has been so long that nothing could possibly live up to this? Or is it going to be like a Force Awakens situation? I mean, it... Well, it depends on what you think Because of Force the Force Awakens, Awakens is, was very well received by everybody, whereas the Phantom Menace was... Everybody hated it. And yeah. it, you had almost an equal amount of weight between the two. I mean, insofar as uh, people, it won't be able to be in expectations, almost certainly. Because there's, there's just <laughs> no way. Not now. Not after everything. Not after all this time and all this. And uh, like, he, he, it, the, the, the gap between books couldn't have come at a, a kind of a worse <laughs> time for the, just the knowledge of the series. It, it, it went up so much in the intervening time. Mm -hmm. Like, if it had just been when there was no multi-million dollar award-winning beloved show around the world, maybe you could have gotten away with it. Now there's no way. I think it'll be better than The Phantom Menace in terms of quality. I think it'll be a good book. No, it'll be better in quality. It'll be the Phantom Menace moment for Game of Thrones, I think. However, I do have this. I'll end on this. I have this theory okay. that George R. R. Martin has been purposely waiting to publish Winds of Winter until after the last season oh, yeah. of Game of Thrones. Mm -hmm. Because guess what everybody's going to be wanting after the series finale of Game of Thrones? More, More Game of, of Thrones. Thrones. So now you can be like, here's my alternate history of my own story. Well, Josh, guess right. what you're not? Um, the 500th person to think <laughs> of that. I'm telling you, I'm, I'm part of the revolution. Let's do this. Let's go. Well, thank you all for joining us uh, for Subtext Black Live. Thank you for joining us for 2018. It's been a yeah. fun year. Interesting. We started this. Not we started this, but we had a good, I had a good time with you, Josh, going through yeah. the books. Um, I like drinking. Uh, thanks for Cheryl for coming on the show and being my co-host. Uh, we've had giveaways. We've had trailers. We're going to be coming back with more in 2019. It could be a very big year for us with Game of Thrones. Maybe the Winds of Winter coming out. We hope you're there. We'll be back um, the first Wednesday in January. We're going to skip next Wednesday because it's Christmas. We're going to be gone. And uh, read the first chapter of Clash of Kings by then? Yeah. Okay. Let's do it. Let's read the prologue. Straight away. Right and we will the new see year. you next Wednesday, January... Uh, at 4 p.m. Central Time here on the Winning Point Facebook page. Check out Wick Club if you have a mind to, and have a happy holiday. Bye-bye, people.